I hope your Bibles are open to Ephesians chapter 6. We are, we are in this series on spiritual warfare. If, if this is your first time with us, we've, been, we've started putting on our armor and we're learning what that means. And, uh, and, and to understand it all, we've got to break it down, look at each piece. But we also have to remember this as a whole. And I, and I hope you'll see what I'm talking about as I go forward. Um, and today, uh, I'm calling this Never Say Die. Now, that really has two meanings. One meaning is that uh, you and I, uh, or if you're a believer in Christ, that is, uh, you can't die. Because you already died. You, you died. When you come to Christ, you die and he lives in you. If, you. if you're born once, you have to die twice. If you're born twice, you only have to die once. And I've already done that. I died when I came to Christ. The Bible says in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? Amen? All right. So when the Bible uses the word die, it means a spiritual death. And that spiritual death is described as is dying because the lost man who doesn't know Christ in eternity he is always dying he's separated from God and he never has life he he doesn't know life and to be a Christian is to know life to have life and to have it abundantly John 10:10 10, 10. right right amen. amen you don't have to be shy about saying amen that's good and so and, and so death refers to a spiritual death not just physically dying so when I say you're born once, you have to die twice, that means if I'm only born of my mother, uh, from my father and mother, then I've got to die physically and I will die forever spiritually. But if I'm born twice, born of water by my mother, water broke and I was born, uh, mother and father, and I'm born spiritually, born again, John chapter 3, then I've already died and you can't kill me. Now, this is foundational what I want to talk to you about a little bit. The other meaning of the word die is simply that phrase, never say die, means I will stand my ground until you kill me, but I will never quit. Y'all understand that? So I want you to think about it actually in both terms as we look at, at this piece of the armor today. And uh, why don't you stand up with me and we'll read it. We're actually going to read two verses, but I'm only going to comment on uh, extensively on one, and that is uh, beginning in verse 14 of, of Ephesians chapter 6. Scripture says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So a few weeks back, we talked about the belt of truth, which means truthfulness. All truth comes from God. There's no truth outside of God. And the breastplate of righteousness, which means the wedding of Christ giving us his righteousness and then us acting according to that righteousness. So it's a positive, it's, a, it's actually kind of an offensive thing where as long as I'm busy doing what God's called me to do and enabled me to do, I don't have time to let the devil in to do what he wants to do, right? And then he talks about now shotting our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So would you bow with me in prayer for just a moment? Father, we love you. You're an awesome God. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our eyes to understand the things in your word. And Lord, that this day you would speak to us through your word. Lord, uh, I pray that the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth would be acceptable in thy sight. 
Lord, we bind our enemy. We bind the strong man, the name, the authority of Jesus. And we ask you, Lord, for freedom. Uh, move among us. May your Holy Spirit move freely among your people that we might see and hear and know that you are God and there is none but you. In Jesus' name, amen. Young, sit down. And by the way, as, as I was talking about that, um, see, if you're in here today and you, you don't have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, you can't understand what I'm talking about. You can't understand the Bible. The Bible says in Corinthians that these things are spiritually discerned. So I'm talking to somebody about the Lord and they go, well, I don't understand that. I go, yeah, I know. I get it. You can't understand. I had a guy one time ask me, he said, I don't understand the Bible. Can you tell me why? I said, do you want the truth or a preacher answer? He said, well, I prefer the truth. I said, good. It's because you're lost and going to hell. Say what? I said, if you don't know the author of the book, you can't understand the book. If you don't know the one who inspired the writing of the book, there's no way you're going to ever understand it. And so when I hear people that don't believe in God, atheists, all these people, they're talking and they think they've got it all figured out. And I know how dumb they are because I know the truth of the word of God. Then I go, ah, poor guy, you know, I get it. And I feel, we should feel compassion that if they would know the author of the book, they would understand better the reality of where we are. Because remember, we are not in a fight against flesh and blood, are we? Yeah, it's a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual warfare. And so he talks about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And here's what I want, to, I want you to take home with you today. Is, and that is, you've got to be ready to stand your ground. You have to be ready to stand your ground. My son played high school football, and I'm not going to brag on my son, but I want to use that to illustrate a story. Um, and and he, I mean, he was a decent player. He was, he was okay. Uh, he, he was kind of a small guy, but he, he started little league football, and, and, he, and he played, and he got to high school. And I guess he was in middle school, and he got to play, uh, or at least dress out for the varsity team. He's playing the, the junior varsity, and he got dressed out for varsity as well. Because they needed players, and he was one of the guys they, they wanted up there. And he got to play a couple of plays. And then as he got older, he played all the time. But, but uh, uh, when he was a younger player, the, the high school team was really good. And, I mean, they, they were competing to get the nat, to the state championship and all that kind of stuff. And he was just a kid on the team back then. And then when he got older, the team wasn't so good. And it wasn't his fault. Um, <laughs> sounds like it, doesn't it? But, uh, but you know, it, w- it wasn't as good. But somewhere in the middle, you got to understand something about my son. I never saw him run fast a day. Well, one day in his life, I saw him run fast. We were playing pickup football when he was about 9 or 10 a- after church in the churchyard beside the church. It's a fun thing to do, guys. Um, anyway, and, and I was playing the quarterback, and he got open, and I threw him a pass. And he outran this guy to the goal line. And that guy happened to be a Navy commando guy. And I had never seen him run fast in his life, and he outran that guy. And I got in the car to take him home. I said, son, you outran Mr. Jeff. He went, I know. I said, that was amazing. I said, how did how'd that happen? He said, I turned around, and when I saw the look on his face, I knew I didn't want him to catch me. <laughs> well... One day after a football game, and our guys were getting pushed around pretty good, this stranger walks up to the coach of my son's team, and he says, Coach, your boys are getting beaten not because they're smaller, but because they don't know how to set their feet. 
And the coach looks at this guy and says, oh, who are you? And he holds out his national championship college football ring from the University of Texas. And he was a Navy SEAL and a helicopter pilot. And then he said the magic words. Would you mind if I worked out your boys? He said, I'd be glad for you to. So that guy started training. And when he got our, our boys, he, he, he said, I don't care about your weight. I don't care about, we're not going to exercise. First, we got to teach your body to move differently. And he started getting them to move a different way than they were used to. And in that process, I didn't go to any practices or anything. And one day I went to a practice after a month or two of this. And he was coming home all excited. Oh, Coach Chris doing this and this and this. He tells us all this stuff. And then one day I went to pick him up and they were still kind of practicing. And I saw this guy running down the field, outrunning another kid from our church who's one of the fastest kids I ever saw. And this kid outran him and caught a pass. And my son wasn't a receiver, so I didn't recognize that it was my son because he was moving so fast. And the difference was not now that he's scared of a guy. The difference was he'd been taught to do something differently. And my son never was more than 180 pounds and he played defense and offensive line, uh, you know, both times. He never came off the field. And that guy taught him how to move, he taught him how to set his feet, and he taught him how to get leverage. And I saw my 180-pound son, who's too small to be a lineman, throw around 300-pound guys. It was amazing to me because he knew how to set his feet. Now, Paul's sitting here next to this Roman guy, guard, sitting there, and God starts talking to him about, you know, you're in a spiritual fight, and he starts looking at that armor and thinking, I don't know exactly the process Paul went through, obviously he doesn't tell us. But it just seems, it, it stands to reason, Paul's chained up to a lot of Roman guards. Y'all know that, right? Y'all know that, right? And, and in fact, he witnessed every one of them he's chained up to. You know how we know that? Because the gospel got to England. Y'all do know Rome conquered England back in the day, right? Couldn't conquer the Scots, that's why there's Hadrian's Wall there, but he conquered England. They conquered England. And those guards that had been saved took the gospel to England. But here's the testimony in the Bible that the gospel was even in Caesar's household. Because the guys that guarded Paul, they got duty being the praetorian guard that guarded Caesar. And even in Caesar's house, the gospel went because Paul's witnessing these guards. So it just stands to reason he's, he's watching them. He sees how they're dressed. And God begins to work in his mind about, hey, you know, you could correlate this to, well, how do I do that? And God starts telling him, well, you know what? The, the belt is truth because everything ties into the truth. Uh, the, the, the breastplate is righteousness because I give you righteousness, but you've got to act righteously. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And he's looking at these Roman soldiers' shoes, and they had a special set of shoes for when they went into battle. And it was sort of like the cleats of a football guy. Uh, they had spikes or something on the bottom that gave them stability on the ground because they're not going to say die. They're going to stand their ground. They don't retreat. They only go forward or they die going forward. So they're going to move forward over and over and over again. And they had to set their feet and not be moved out of place. And Paul begins to write about this. And so we read it in our text. And here's what my Bible says in the ESV version. And you may have a different version, and I'll show you why that's important. Verse 15 says, again, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Some people think, oh, this is about preaching the gospel. No, it's not. 
That's not what this is about. Again, remember the context. A lot of error made in people talking about the Bible because they pull a verse out of its context and they try to apply it to something it doesn't mean to apply to. He's not talking about soul winning and putting on the armor. What's he talking about? Fighting a spiritual fight, right? Against our enemy. Now, that, does that include preaching the gospel? Absolutely. Is that what he's talking about? No. Because later on, he's going to talk about the helmet of salvation as well. What he's talking about, he says, the preparation given by the gospel of peace. Now, your, your, your uh, Bible may use the word preparation, but that word, that word translated today means readiness. The readiness that is given to us by the gospel of peace. So if we're going to be ready, first we've got to be ready in our foundation, which I've been talking about. It's more important than athletic shoes. It's designed for us to stand our ground. And spiritually, it keeps us from slipping. In, in religious circles, what, what phrase do we use? Oh, I'm backslidden. Or that guy's backslidden. You don't hear that word much anymore. Because we accept so much now that a sin as okay, that we don't even talk about being backslidden. But there are people that are not spiritually close to the Lord, and, and we call that condition backsliding. How do you prevent backsliding? Psalm 119 and verse 9. And here's the verse, you know it. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So the more we have the word in us, the more God has to get us set so when the enemy comes, though he's bigger and stronger, we can get that leverage on him and take him out with God's strength in us, right? Not that I can fight, but I am, God's going to fight through me. And so i got to understand the armor I'm wearing. So he wants my feet shod with the preparation that is given by the gospel of peace, the readiness given by that. So the Bible, the, the, the readiness of this gives us that spiritual foundation so that we can understand the Word. See, the way we keep from slipping is to know the Word, to study the Word. If you come to me with a lie, and I know the truth of the Bible, your lie doesn't affect me. Jehovah Witnesses knock on my door all day long and talk to me. They're not going to convince me of their error. A Mormon missionary roll up on his bicycle and talk to me, and he's not going to convince me of his error because I know what he's going to say. I know what he believes, and I know the truth, and those two things are not the same. So I'm not scared to engage a Muslim or a Mormon, whatever, because I know the truth. Now, well, I won't get into that, but you get my point. So the more I know about the Scripture, the more grounded I am, and, and I'm ready, and you say... Well, what are you talking about? Because here's the deal. Those feet shod is not the preaching of the gospel. It's the application of the gospel in your own life. Okay? That's what he's talking about here. See, not only do we have to be ready in our foundation, we've got to be ready in our attitude. Uh, in other versions, I tell you, the, the word is prepare, the preparation. But that word just means readiness. And it's the readiness to stand our ground. Here's how the gospel gives us that readiness. Turn backwards in your Bible a few books to the book of Romans in chapter 5. And I want to show you the key to what the gospel does for us. In religious circles today, and, and it seems like every generation 
of guys coming out of seminaries have a buzz word or theology or something they like to talk about. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, young guys coming out of seminary today, they like to talk about the gospel. Everything's about the gospel. It's got to be gospel-centered. It's got this, this, and And I don't think some of them even understand what they're saying, but that's just how they use the word. And in Christianity, we overuse words till we have to come up with a new word because the old word doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean anymore because we used it too much. And we misused it, actually. And so we come up with a new word. We used to talk about, we used to talk about missions, and missions meant preaching the gospel. But missions became everything under the sun. So we changed it to evangelism. And then evangelism meant witnessing about Christ until one day it just meant everything under the sun. So then, then we changed it to soul winning. And then that means everything under the sun. And so now we talk about being missional. We had to make up a word because we were running out of Bible words to use. Listen, only man can complicate what is simple. You know that? You know, never mind. I was about to give you a little. It takes, you know, never. Listen, when you got a problem, never overlook the stupid. You know, somebody really messed that up. And, and, and we do the same thing in church. We make it. You want me to tell you why you're here and what God's all about? Seeing people come to know Christ and starting to look like him. Growing to look like him. That's what this is all about. And anything we're doing that's not helping people know him or grow into looking like him is a waste of time. Right? Okay, so we're on the same page. Good. Let me apply the gospel. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Let's apply the true gospel. And those guys, I'm not criticizing those young guys. I'm just telling you they get, they get all hyped up about a buzzword and they, they don't see the whole picture yet because they're young. Therefore... Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that. How are we justified by faith? Now, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, which we've already studied, that by grace are you saved through faith, and even that not of yourselves. It doesn't use the word even. And that not of yourselves. Talking about the faith. It is a gift of God. God gives us the faith to, to obtain the grace so that we can be saved. Okay? So it's all from God, basically, is what I'm trying to tell you. But what happens when that happens? Now that I've, God's given me faith, I've reached out and I've taken that grace into my life, I am now justified. That means that God has paid for my sin and I am no longer guilty before God. Brother Algernon was here last week and he and I were just talking and, 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 we, and we were just in some private conversation I want to tell you all about. He, he confesses stuff to me uh, uh, you know, that he's struggled with in his past or currently and whatever. So we were just talking, he was talking about people and their guilt. And I said, well, do you know why people feel guilty? And he looked at me, and I said, because they are. And he just started giggling. Man, that's good. I said, yeah, I know. We feel guilty because we are guilty. When we come to Christ, he takes away our legal guilt. But when I stand before God, even though I did it, I'm not guilty. I'm declared innocent by Christ. You following me? You with me? Didn't I tell you all about my reckless driving ticket? I tell you all that? The judge let me go? Was I guilty? As sin. (laughs) But not according to the the books. According to the books, I didn't do anything wrong. Because the judge dismissed it with bad equipment in my car. Now, whether the judge did right or not, it's not my problem. (laughs) I am not guilty of reckless driving, which I was doing. You see my point? I've sinned against a holy God. 
Somebody's got to pay the price. That judge paid the price for me. Our judge is Christ. He paid the price for us. I'm still guilty, but I no longer have to... I feel guilty because I know I'm guilty, but I am no longer guilty before God. When I go before God, I look like Jesus to him. Being justified by faith, look what it says. We have peace with God. What did it say in our original, the text we were looking at? It said this, having your feet shod, I'm just going to read it to you. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let me ask you a simple question I don't want anybody to answer out loud. Unusual, right? But I just want you to think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, was he reconciling men to God or God to men? Just think about it. Don't say anything. Was he reconciling men to God or God to men? All right, now that you've had only a second to think about it, God is the one that demanded a price to be paid for sin. God is the only one who could demand the price to be paid for sin. And God will not be satisfied until the price of sin is paid. Right? There wasn't anything you could do to be reconciled to God. You couldn't be holy enough, pray enough, righteous enough, read the Bible enough, give away enough money... Give your life for Christ. There was nothing you could do that was going to satisfy his demand of death for sin. And the Bible says God was of purer eyes than to look on sin. So here's how God was facing us like this. No. And he's angry. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And he's saying, no, you're sinful. I can't even look at you. Jesus, you got to take care of this. And Jesus puts on flesh and looks like us and lives a perfect life. And when he dies on the cross, it says in Isaiah, but it pleased God to bruise him for our iniquities. And Jesus satisfied the price of my sin. And God turns around now with a smile because his justice has been satisfied. By Jesus. And there was nothing I could do to make that happen. And being justified by faith, I have peace with God. I am no longer at war with him. He's been satisfied and I'm set free. What a glorious thing. That brings some stability to my way of thinking. That means what do I have to fear? See, I've already died. I died when Christ died. And so we have to be ready in the relationship. Since we're at peace with God, we no longer have fear. Because if I'm at peace with God, I have the peace of God in my life. So if I'm going to fight a spiritual fight, and I'm going in there, and I know that dude's going to take me out, then I'm going to go, you know what? You know, I'm going to... Back up a little bit and go, I'm not so sure about this. You think about when Jesus was alive. You know, a bunch of people wanted to follow Christ. If you read the Gospels carefully, you see this early part of Jesus' ministry. And the crowds are coming from everywhere. And then at the end of his ministry, he's just got a few of them. What happened? Did he no longer become popular? Well, in a sense. But he preached his own crowd away. Did you all know that? 
He's walking down the road one day because he's been healing blind people. He's raised a couple people from the dead. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Right? Who wouldn't want to hang out with that guy? Everything you need, he can just, there it is. Wow, that's awesome. And he's walking down the road and he stops one day and turns around and says, y'all really want to be my disciple? You see, we don't understand that word disciple. In their day, you didn't go to school. You found a guy you wanted to be like and you started following him and became his disciple and you started looking like him because you learned what he said and you talked like him and you thought like him and he helped you learn and so Jesus got these guys following him he only called 12 of them disciples but a lot of people were following behind him and he starts says you really want to be a disciple and they said yeah he said then take up a cross and follow me now see we don't really understand a cross anymore do we take up a firing squad follow me Take up an electric chair, follow me. Go lay your head in a guillotine and follow me. That's what he's saying. Go down somewhere where you know you're going to get killed and follow me. And they went, the guy in the very back of the crowd went, I think I hear my wife calling me. And he's gone. And they just started peeling off. And the Bible says this, they all left until there were 12 standing there. He says, are you going away too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. Right? When you follow Christ, it doesn't mean everything's going to be rosy. It means you get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. The almighty God. And you're going to look like Jesus when he's done. That's amazing. That's why we call it amazing grace. Because it is beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our thought. I was thinking this week. Christians have to be the craziest people in the world. Because Jesus is not this guy like people painted him to look like. Okay? He is not pale white with long brown hair and soft brown eyes. And a little halo in a white garment. Walking around Palestine going, well, let's just love everyone. He's not doing that. I mean, he was a carpenter. He didn't have any Black & Decker tools. And he had, to, he had some muscle. Listen, you're going to make a whip and run everybody out of the temple, you better be one tough dude. Right? He didn't look like any of us. He looked more like Pastor Kareem. Probably wasn't as tall or as big as Pastor Kareem. Short, little, dark-skinned, black-haired dude. And the Bible says in Isaiah, he had no form nor beauty that we would desire him. In other words, he's ugly. (laughs) I don't know if he's ugly, but what do you think special about him? And we say that's the son of God? you got to be crazy. But there's this one little detail we can't get past. He rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, it proved everything he said was true. That's what it says in Romans. We know it's true because he rose from the dead. The most provable fact in history is that Jesus rose from the dead. There's empirical evidence. There's eyewitness evidence. There's logical evidence. There's legal evidence. Jesus came out of the tomb. There's no doubt about it. Proven he's the son of God. And if you want to pretend like he's a good teacher, you're crazy. Because he's either a lord or liar or a lunatic. Because he believed he was the son of God. He said he was the son of God. And if he weren't the son of God, he would not have risen from the dead. And he can't only be a good teacher. He's either Lord or he's nothing. 
And we choose to believe he's Lord. And when you believe he's Lord, God does an amazing thing in your life. When you bow, when you give up your life, when you pick up a cross, which is the instrument of death, and you are born twice because you died to self, and you're reborn in him, now you're a brand new creation and you don't have to die again. And you got peace because the judge ain't going to get you. The judge says, oh, the equipment must have failed. You're okay. You mean I'm not guilty of reckless driving? No, 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 don't say that word. Nope, nope, your speedometer was broken. What? Now, Jesus did more than that. He didn't just excuse it. He died for it. He paid the price. And the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our reputation. He took our character. He took our sin and became a sin and died on a cross for us. And said, here, take my perfect record and you show that to God when you get there. And so I go to God and I don't go and say, well, God, here's your servant, steward. I've been down here just working for you all this time. Don't you think? Aren't you impressed? No, I go and I say, in the name of Jesus. By his authority, I step into the glory of glory in heaven. And I stand before God's throne and I give him my request. So if you're going to stay in your ground, if you're going to have no fear, if you're going to go into a neighborhood where you're scared to go, if you're going to talk to people you're scared to talk to, if you're going to risk your life, you better have the peace of God knowing that you can't kill me because I'm already dead. All you can do is punch my ticket for me to go see Jesus. That's all you can do. You can't kill me. You can make me not live in this body anymore. You mean I'll have to take insulin anymore? Nope. You mean I'll be able to see clearly? Yep. You mean I won't have aches and pains? Nope. I get to be with Jesus? Yep. So what am I so afraid of? God made us to honor life, cling to life, want life. And that's a healthy thing. But I have the sneaky suspicion that the moment we die, we're going to wonder why we were ever afraid to. Right? Because we got peace with God. So I don't have to have fear. I don't have to be worried about what's going to happen. Because he's got it. He's in control. He's taking care of it for me. And so if I'm going to prepare to fight an enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, I go, what are you going to steal? I mean, Paul had to frustrate the devil to no end. There's a Bible verse that Paul said, um, having all things, possessing nothing. Can you imagine the devil trying to bother Paul? Hey, Paul, if you follow me, I'll give you anything you want. I'll give you money. I'll give you wealth. I'll give you women. I'll give you power. I'll give you prestige. I'll give you popularity. So that's okay. I got everything. Really? Okay, you know what, Paul? You smart aleck. I'm going to take everything from you. I'm going to take away your power. I'm going to take away uh, any relationships you have. I'm going to take away your money. I'm going to take away everything you got. You can't. Why? I don't own anything. Paul frustrated the fool out of the devil. Because he couldn't give me anything, couldn't take me anything from him. Because Paul, his possession was Jesus Christ. And the devil can't take that away from you. You may be sitting there saying, preacher, how does, how does that work? I mean, l- listen, in case you don't know, you're in a Baptist church. And we have this thing we believe called, here's how we say it. I don't like to say it this way, but once saved, always saved. How many of you heard that? Well, not as many as I thought. If you've heard that, raise your hand. Don't be scared. Okay, good. That's better. All right. 
Well, that is a horrible reduction of that grand theology, but that's another sermon. But here's the deal. If you're sitting there and you say, you know what? I, 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 I got to say one time, but man, I've been, I, I've been living a life of sin. Or I'm, I'm in sin. And, you're, and it's, it's upsetting you. And, and I'm going to assume you genuinely have come to know Christ. Not, not just said a prayer when you were a kid. But you genuinely are trying to follow Christ. And you messed up. And people, well, can I lose my salvation? And, well, I got a question for you. Two right answers and you can answer out loud. When Jesus died on the cross, how many sins had you committed? None of them. And what's the other right answer? All of them. Because is God omnipresent? He's everywhere at once, right? That's not limited to only one frame of time either. He is present in 2016 right now. He's present in 2015 right now. He's present in 1860 right now. He's present in the year 1000. And when he was dying on the cross, he saw your entire life as a whole. And that moment and you, in his mind, are not 2,000 years apart. It's happening now. And he died for all your sin. He died to make you free. And if you're free from the guilt of the penalty of the law, even though you know in your own self, yeah, but I messed up. That's why he says, confess your sin. Go to God and say, God, I I agree. I shouldn't have done that. I messed up. I thank you that you've forgiven me and cleansed me of sin. I want to live a righteous life. I want to do your will. He says he's just to forgive you your sin because he's already forgiven it. Right? So now you've got peace with God. And if you have peace with God, you've got the peace of God. And you can go forward into life fearless. Well, he said, what can I do about that? Well, since this is grounded in knowing the word of God, first of all, I'd say, why don't you read a psalm and a proverb every day this week? I'm only saying that because some of you don't read your Bible at all every day. You go find it on Sunday morning and bring it with you. Or you got it on your phone and so you don't even have to do that anymore. So why don't you actually open it every day this week, read a psalm and a proverb. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to sound like sarcastic. I didn't mean to sound that way. But I, I'm just saying, you don't have to go and read the whole Bible and know everything all at once. Just read a psalm and a proverb. If you're not used to it, just do that. I want to encourage you to do that. Don't, don't be afraid. Just to open it and read it. And just read that every day. Begin to ask God, open my mind. Help me to understand what you've said here. Because he's the author, and if you know the author, he can explain what he meant. Right? That's why lost people can't understand the Bible. God's not there to explain it to them. Number two, memorize Romans 5.1. That'll help you. Because it's the prefer- having your feet shod with the readiness that comes by the gospel of peace. And when you apply that and you go, hey, you know what? devil can't knock me off this. I cannot be unsaved. I am saved. I mean, by the way, I'm a Baptist preacher. And I've had people tell me where I needed to go. And I just look at him and say, sorry, can't do that. Because I've already made arrangements not to go there. <laughs> and you can't make me. <laughs> and number three, and so memorize Romans 5, 1. It'll be a blessing. In fact, read the, memorize the whole chapter of Romans 5 if you're up for a challenge. And then three, and Psalm 100, which is Thanksgiving Psalm. This Thanksgiving week. Do Psalm 100, then do Romans 5. And then do one spiritual thing that you fear to do. There's probably somebody in your life that you've been wanting to witness to, but you're scared. Don't be scared. What are they going to do, kill you? (laughs) That's the worst thing they know that they can do to you. 
The worst thing they could do to you is reject Christ. To not listen. That's the worst thing they could do. Killing you is nothing. I mean, we'll grieve for you, but you'll be happy. So don't worry about it. Go knock on your neighbor's door. Talk to the person at work. Witness to your family. Maybe you've been afraid to pray out loud at mealtime at work. You eat lunch with some people. And everybody just sits down and you start eating. Why don't you just stop and say, y'all can talk, but I'm going to stop and pray. First meal I ever ate in the presence of my wife, now wife. We didn't even know each other. And uh, we were in a group. We were on a retreat with college. It was supposed to be college and career people. But anyway. So we all go to this restaurant. And they forgot who I am. And they said, Stuart, would you lead us in prayer? And we're in a restaurant. And I said, certainly. And I stood up. And they went, no. Because they knew what I was about to do. And I went, let us pray. And the whole restaurant went quiet. <laughs> I mean, I heard glasses hitting the table. Tinkle, 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 tinkle. Waiters just stopped in mid-stride. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for us on the cross. Man, I was just, you know, I'm a little more tactful now. But you're at a table, you can respectfully, quietly say, and she still married me. That's the weird thing. You could quietly, tactfully say, I'm I'm just going to say a word of prayer. I'll be with you in a second. And just thank God out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for providing this food for me. Amen. You don't have to be... You don't have to pray for missionaries in China. Just pray. Just thank God for what you got. Maybe you're afraid to do that. Maybe you're afraid to take a stand for Jesus in some more even desperate place. Let the gospel of peace drive your action instead of your fears. Because the Bible says in Revelation that the fearful will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let's not be afraid. Because our king, our leader, our commander-in-chief, he's already won the battle. He's already won the war. He calls us into battle. And as we go, yeah, you're going to get shot at. You might get nicked. But nobody can kill you. They can only make sure you go to heaven. And that's it. So don't be afraid.